But I believe it's really time for impact companies and, and clean energy companies to go public more. So to have more IPOs in the B2B space, you can only test so much because your sample size is limited. So you have to go for two or three setups and those have to somehow come from your experience and your view of the market because you won't be able to test all these variables individually. It's just you can't ask enough people and you lose your customer base. If you have Slack or if you have Zoom, why does it work? Well, because the internet cables are there and everybody has a computer. That's the, the precondition. Um, if it wasn't there, somebody has to bring it there. And then you can come with Zoom and then you can come with Slack, but it first has to be brought there. And when you talk about the energy transition and you talk about distributed energy, like solar and battery and, and so on, in multifamily housings, it's just not there yet. So uh, if you then come up with a software as a service solution, you can do a few things. But at the end of the day, the challenge for these companies, real estate companies, and also homeowners today is putting those technologies in the buildings. And they need somebody to help them all the way. And part of that all the way means... Somebody has to go to these buildings and check out what's in the basement. Somebody has to install something, you know, and, and hardware has to be bought. And so at the end of the day, the solution is always a mix of software, hardware, services to make it a reality. Doesn't mean you have to do everything on your own. I think that's a big error. Uh, we also started doing way too much on our own, uh, which we then cannot develop to quality. But you need to work in partnerships and you have to have an ecosystem that at the end of the day solves the total problem. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to Mission First, the podcast to get inspired and to learn from successful entrepreneurs who are building a sustainable future for our planet and its people. I am Gilles Toussaint, your host and the founder of GT Impact, a growth and digital marketing agency working only with companies making a positive difference in this world. Growing a company that aims at having a sustainable impact is not easy. That's why I created Mission First. In each episode, I interview one entrepreneur who has a sustainable mission and who has recently gone through the difficult first years successfully. Together, we discuss their challenges and what they have learned on the way. We go into detail with a specific focus on company culture, leadership, financing, growth and business strategy. That way, you'll learn hands-on tips on how to build a better future and a successful company too. Being an entrepreneur in the energy industry is a tough challenge. The market is very broad, the sales cycle and the product implementation are very long. Products are usually a mix of hardware and software, so it's very difficult to be a successful entrepreneur in that sector. That's why I'm really excited to talk today to Ernesto Garnier, the CEO of Einundert. After less than four years, they already make a seven-digit revenue. They offer a 100% sustainable energy solution and help real estate companies become solar power suppliers for their residents. Ernesto is also a member of Leaders for Climate Action, so I know he really cares about having a positive impact with his company. In this episode, Ernesto will share a list of six do's and don'ts on the topic of how to optimize and develop a new energy solution in the B2B real estate market. This includes tips about how to pin down your ideal customer, how to develop and design your software and hardware solution, or how to develop your partnerships. Can you relate to that? Then let's dive into this conversation together. Ernesto, thank you very much for being here with us today. 
How are you? Hi, it's very good to talk to you. Thanks a lot for the invitation. Um, it's Corona times, it's not easy, but I'm doing fine. Thanks a lot. Yes, and Frohes Neues Jahr and Happy New Year, as we say in Germany. Same to you. So, Ernesto, tell me, you are the founder of, do I pronounce it correctly, 100 Energy? Exactly. So 100 uh, as the number, 100, 100, and then it's Energy. Um, so that's how the, the company's name is. Um, but by the time actually we are launching uh, this podcast, um, we will have reduced it to 100. So the Energy uh, is a given. And actually our new website will be under the label 100.de. So your brand is established enough now that you can skip that part. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd like to think of it that way. I'm not so sure if it's true, but we really like the word 100. We find it elegant. Uh, and, and indeed, in the real estate sector, we believe we're uh, far enough to work with that name only. That's great. Like, I mean, I, I wish, like, I hope, uh, I wish you to be like Apple. With, like, at some point, I think they studied with Apple computers and then they switched yeah. to Apple. Yeah. So, you know. No, I mean, you have these... A uh, great notion of category leaders like Tempo, you know, with the with the tissues and, and all of this stuff. So, uh, of course, that's a far way to go. But uh, we're operating in a fairly uh, specific segment. So we're trying to work with our 100 name. Tempo is a funny thing, right? Like, because it's funny how in different countries, different, uh, sure. like, people use different brands. So, for example, here, like, in Belgium, you would, and in French, you would never say a Tempo. Yeah. For a tissue, but it, we would use some words like I don't know. I would always say "cowie," like for a, uh -huh. a, a wind jacket. Okay, yeah. Which I don't hear here. Sometimes you have also these global brands. They use different names in different countries. Actually, it's funny because also some investors they say, you know, when you go to another country, you cannot be 100. Um, whereas you have companies like Zonen, right, who also have like a, at least a German word, I guess. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, at least for Germany, 100. Uh, that's the name, and and, and it works so far. Yeah. That's great. Um, so tell me a bit about the company. Like, uh, like, can you summarize a bit what you do? I've tried to explain it in the, in the introduction, but you can probably explain that way better than I do. Uh, so what exactly do you do and do you offer? Well, if, if you had to put it short, I would say uh, that we help real estate companies become solar power suppliers for their residents. So, I mean, we have a technology, a software core, And on top of the software, certain service processes, which we use to make solar supply from the roof in multifamily housings a reality for tenants all across Germany. Um, so instead of you know, having to source your electricity from the grid um, as a normal energy consumer, you can just turn to your landlord and he has a solar power supply for you from the roof. And that's what we do. Um, we work together with real estate companies, um, make deals with them so that we can roll out our solar power solution in their portfolios. And at the core of what we do is, is software and a scalable workflow architecture. Okay, so you are B2B in that case. You work with a real estate company, not directly with a tenant who can like, ask you to install the solar panels. Exactly. And it's also, I mean, if we talk about the journey, we might we might uh, touch upon that as well. Um, but we have become more and more B2B. So uh, our focus is on winning real estate companies who have a lot of buildings Uh, work together with them. And then the part of getting the electricity, the solar power to the tenants is something that we can help with, but that is more and more done by the real estate companies themselves. Okay. And do you have a specific like mission when you talk about the company's like mission itself? Yeah. I mean, so, so at, at, at the larger scale, if you look at our team and, and, and also, of course, uh, myself and my co-founder, uh, we are, we are definitely driven by the 
the deep um, motivation to contribute to fighting climate change. And, and for us, it means contributing to a CO2 neutral building stocks. Uh, so because buildings are uh, among the biggest CO2 emitters, the heating and the electricity that, that people and companies need in buildings. And our vision is to help mitigate that uh, and make clean energy supply for real estate and for buildings a reality. And, and on the mission level, so what we look at, we, we look at ourselves as a, as a digital service partner for real estate companies to make that a reality um, on the electricity side. Okay. And uh, in, in terms of stage right now, so you work like a, you said that you, you found product market fit and you are on the scaling phase right now, on the growth phase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I think there are a lot of definitions and you know, a, a lot of views on, on where where is somebody when. Um, so I don't I don't have a VC background. Of course, we're working a lot with VCs and investors um, uh, who who are extremely familiar with these terms. But I think generally you can say uh, what has happened is we have by now understood what really is the need for a real estate company and, and more specifically for a landlord company. So a company that is uh, renting out apartments, we have understood what is the pain point for them when they try to roll out solar power supply in their portfolios. And we have, um, you know, fine tuned our product to really cater to these pain points. And, and that's what we definitely see in terms of real estate companies referring us to each other, inbound demand, um, new accounts coming up at quite a high frequency. And that's where we are right now. And so the main challenge now is to, you know, to, to go more outside as well, uh, more outbound on the one hand, and to not only count on, you know, referrals and, and, and that, but also, you know, having a, a more aggressive go-to-market if you want, um, and, and, and to, to onboard even more accounts. And of course, then at the end of the day, and I think we will talk about this more, it's about delivery as well, uh, because what we do is fairly complex. Um, it's, it is a lot of software, but it's not only software. Stuff has to be installed in the buildings. And so, um, so you know, scaling that to the next level where we can uh, not only onboard like 100 buildings like we did last year, roughly, um, but actually onboard uh, maybe 500 or 1,000 buildings any year without losing on quality. So that, that's where we are right now. Okay. How many like uh, buildings or clients can, like, do, do you have in total right now on the, on the past four years? Yeah, so um, when when we win a, a, a customer, a real estate company, we work with them long term because in every building that we operate, we operate for at least eight years. And so um, by now we have about 200 buildings connected to our platform. Um, these, this means 200 buildings that either, either have a solar system on the roof or a CHP, so a combined heat and power system in the basement. So these are two types of how you produce electricity in the building. Um, And we have smart meters, you know, for the production and all the, uh, the, uh, the users. So we have them connected uh, via smart meters to our platform. It's about 200 buildings, about 2,000 households um, that are users uh, in those buildings. And I think I would have to rethink now. It, it sh we should be in a range of 25 um, real estate companies that are behind this um, as our partners. Okay. And uh, talking about uh, like uh, numbers uh, where, while we are at it. So your, com your company size right now, you have 23 full-time employees. Yeah, uh, it's going by, by one now. Uh, so yeah, 24, I think. Um, we work a bit with part-time as well. So uh, if you look at the people, there, there's just over 30 people. But we really embrace part-time work. Um, 
we work with young talents also from from the universities, but also with people who are parents like myself. So um, the headcount is a bit bigger than the than the full time equivalent. Oh, I want to get back to that when you say you really embrace part time workers, uh, because I think it's a very important thing to. And me growing my company is something I'm interesting to know how <laughs> how you deal with that. Yeah. Um, talking about revenue, you told me you're you are in a, in a seven digit range revenue. Um, what about the funding? How like uh, how how was it for you so far? Are you already profitable? No, no, we're we're not we're not profitable. Um, uh, it's still still a bit of a path to go. Um, it's quite a big undertaking because our company, and I think that is one of the key challenges in 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 a sector like this. Uh, we're we're combining quite a bit of functions. So one is IT development, but and, and of course sales and marketing. I think this is standard for a digital company. But we also have to have operations, right? So we have to have engineers who run standard service processes to get the stuff uh, going. And so uh, yeah, we, we with 2020 we just hit the uh, the the seven digit revenue range. Um, when it comes to the funding side. Um, so initially it was it was myself and, and family, um, and then uh, we had an angel round in 2018. Um, really, uh, yeah, serial founders, private equity people that that, that joined together. Um, uh, on top of that, we had a seed round um, in the fall of 2019, uh, together with V Venture, an impact investor, uh, a German one, um, and also Minol, which is a player from the submetering industry. Um, and high res ventures, a prop tech um, uh, angel investor from uh, from Berlin, and um, yeah, that's been that's been our equity side so far. But on top of that, uh, we decided to make a crowd round, uh, which is a, which is a crowdfunding um, subordinate loan, so it's not equity. Um, and we initiated that in the March of um, twenty twenty. Uh, which was horrible timing. I mean, you have, uh, I think it was the beginning of the first lockdown. It was like, uh, yeah, we were scratching our heads and thinking this wouldn't work out uh, and expecting that that not much would happen. But it's been an incredible run and the campaign has just closed uh, at the end of 2020. And we had a big sprint at the end of the year as well after Christmas. So we uh, actually gathered more than a million euros now. Oh wow! When I saw it last time, you were at nine hundred thousand. I think like a few, uh, like a few, like a day before Chris, uh, before New Year's Eve. I think exactly. So it's incredible. So I think mid mid uh, mid December. I'm not. I don't recall it perfectly, but I think mid December, early December was seven hundred thousand. So it had grown steadily over the year. Um, and yeah, people went home for Christmas, uh, had holidays. I think a lot of people that had considered to contribute, but maybe just were too much in a rush over all this, this business that's to be done throughout the year. Um, yeah, we, we hit the million and, uh, I think we're in a really good spot now. And yeah, I think working, uh, really hard to grow and, and bring this to, to a, a serious A level, uh, type of round. How is that um, crowdfunding like going? Because you said it's not. I, I know there are different type of crowdfunding, like from the private one where you you pay to get something, but also for like investors. Here it's for private investment. But you said it's not equities in that case because I know some crowdfunding platform do that in terms of equities. And here you said it's loan. Exactly. So I think it's. Uh, I mean, there are, there are different platforms, and also within platforms, you can choose for different options. Uh, we we decided to work with uh, Vivin, which is also a platform which is somewhat related with one of our investors so then uh, there's a good link here and we um um yeah we decided to go for a, a subordinate loan so it's a it's a loan um people 
can give any type of money starting with 100 euros and they get an interest. Uh, I think it's, I mean, it's no secret. We It was published so that the base uh, interest is 7% per year, which is, of course, for private investors, quite an attractive interest. Um, and uh, for the early, for those who signed early, they got even a bit more. And um, that's, that's essentially how it works. And it's just the, the money is standing. We will have to pay it back uh, and we will pay it back. Um, it's, uh, it runs over... Um, uh, end of 24 um so um and and that's the model and the people get interest seven percent per year contribute to really uh, impactful calls and the platform we work with that was important to us is a platform which only endorses impact uh undertakings whether it's companies or i don't know solar projects because we wanted to make sure that the people that invest understand what we're doing and that they also believe in it so actually, probably uh, I, I will ask you to to connect me to them because that's, that might be a good uh, yeah. a good guest to have Happy on our to podcast. So. Happy so, to do so. So to to understand in that case, if it's a loan, so if I give a thousand euro, if I invest a thousand, if I like, give you in that case a thousand euro in the, for that project, I have seven percent interest on it during until the end of twenty twenty four. Annual and annual you, interest. You paid back. Yeah. So you get seven, 70 euros on a thousand euros, 70, I think that's correct, uh, every year. And then you get, uh, with the last interest pay, uh, payment, you also get your down payment on your initial investment. Okay, so you get your money back plus 7% yeah. per, per year, like uh, at the end. Exactly. Oh, that's a great, that's a great concept. Yeah. Uh, and why did you decide to go for for that one? Besides the fact that you were probably connected to that investor, so like, uh, the, but why do you think i know it's, it's you know because crowdfunding also plays a major role sometimes in in terms of awareness for your company but what was the main reason for you to do that instead of just taking a loan from the bank well yeah i think getting a loan from the bank is 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 difficult um in any case or at least it's a very um time consuming and highly bureaucratic process um so that was never really an option i think the options that we are looking at as a, as a startup which also invests in the future, so not being profitable yet, um, is, um, is is either equity or or crowd uh, other crowd instruments, and um, or at least that's the standard uh, tools, I would say. And for us, it was um, the question is, you know, if if you do equity round um, and, and you get more equity money, you always have to think in terms of yeah, you're not paying interest, but of course you're giving away shares and you're giving away also influence of your company's fate, and um, when you are in the space that we're in, which is uh, renewable energy, um, a sustainable solution, and I think you're alluding to it also in your intro, hardware, software. So um, it is not a pure software as a service business. Uh, so it, it takes a little longer to scale it to a profitable level. Uh, you need to have a bit more investment up front. And when you when you solve that entirely, entirely with equity, it, it might come at quite a high cost in terms of losing control over the fate of the company as well. And so for us, we, we felt that why would we at a at a certain share price you know give away so many shares that that we're losing control over where we're going maybe even uh, uh running the risk of of not being you know in line with our vision at some point uh being being pushed into a certain direction why would we do that when out there uh all over the world there are so many people who want to make contribution um, and also benefit from all the possibilities of the energy transition so i think and i think that is one of the most powerful um, assets that you know impact investors have is to understand you're not you know you're not working against everybody out there, 
but everybody is rooting for you because by now, fortunately, the majority of people have really understood that we need to make a change. So, you know, you need to make use of that um, and, and, and bring those people on board, uh, whether it's by contributing um, investments um, and, of course, having them benefit as well. Uh, or it's, you know, in, in some other ways, of, you know, being your marketeers, referring you or whatever it is. And so that was the motivation where we said, okay, they're, they're, the, they're the better investors for our company, at least given the resources that we wanted at that point, uh, compared to an equity investor who might push us in a direction we want, don't want to go in um, by now. Yeah, so it was the best solution to keep the control on your company. Yeah, uh, at, at that stage. And of course, if you're in the US and uh, you're a serial founder who has already founded three software as a service startups and you're saying like one of those Apple founders now making a new company, uh, I think even a sustainable um, investment company, if I'm correct, uh, Wozniak. Um, so if you're somebody like that, you can just run around and say, everybody give me $100 million. Um, but, but in Germany, if you're starting with a... Um, with a more challenging, more complex business model like ours, um, you will have to pay uh, quite a high price if you're raising a lot of equity early. Yeah, and especially we are also like in a more conservative like min mindset in, in, in Europe and in Germany in particular. Exactly. And that can, uh, that can have very high implications you know, over the course of the company uh, because you give away shares er, shares early you will give away shares uh, again and again because you will need more money over the time of, of of the company and then you're in a position where maybe you started with the idea i want to make a difference you know i want to contribute with clean energy and, and this and that but then you're in a position where you're being pushed to make an exit and leave the company earlier than you wanted maybe even to somebody who buys it that you're not really a fan of um, and these kinds of things and, and and we really have the ambition to push this quite a bit um, further. Uh, so exit is not like, um, it's not a goal right now of the company. It's, it's not a goal of the company. Uh, it's a possible avenue. Um, but we want to be able to, um, at least that's our goal. We want to be able to really, um, have the liberty to make that decision and also be selective about who that exit would be, you know, go to, like who would be the, who would be the buyer of, of 100, who would continue 100, Would it really mean that the company continues to grow, that, that we continue this journey? Or would it be more like, you know, just being bought for a PR stunt or whatever? And 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 I believe, um, I'm not saying that 100 will be that company, but I believe it's really time for impact companies and, and clean energy companies to go public more. Uh, so to have more IPOs um, and go to, to stock exchange, because um, that is still something that, clean tech companies, climate tech companies, especially in Germany, uh, seem to struggle with quite a bit. Um, most of them, then they have a quite an early exit, um, maybe don't reach the size and the potential that they could. Um, but, but how about taking it to a stock exchange at some point and, 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 and having this really be a new company in the market? Yeah, I wish you'd do that. <laughs> um, <see>. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so just because you're talking about that that topic of equities and I think it's very important especially like it's it's very critical as you say in in, in the green tech sector and the renewable energy sector yeah. so I, I guess if you explain that that way I hope you're still like the majority owner with your co-founder of the of the of the company yes without asking you numbers about that but yeah that's good to confirm do you have any advice on you know challenges you you had while like raising fundings for example with your investors and how you negotiate it or what kind of leverage you used for example uh 
to I guess you <laughs> you cannot say yeah use that leverage with that investor right now <laughs> uh, because they're, they're still your investor. But is there any advice you can give to the entrepreneurs out there to how they can maximize the changes the chances to end up with a you know with a majority of the shares in the company? Well, um, yes. I mean, just as a disclaimer, I think um, I think we've made a lot of learnings, and I'm happy to share some. Um, uh, at the same time, I would say that there probably um, I'll, I'll, let me put it differently. We also have to learn still a lot. So I think uh, I'm, I'm, while I think we've made a number of experiences, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't look at myself as uh, the best to to have done this so far because I, I'm really looking up and admiring a lot of people, especially in other sectors, um, you know, other tech sectors, uh, fintech, cybersecurity, who I think have already progressed more than the than the typical clean tech and climate tech uh, founder. I think uh, as a as a breed of people, we need to uh, <laughs> uh, we need to smarten up a bit when it comes to that and become a bit more bullish as well. Um, generally, um, what you have to understand, and it, it is still a reality. While Fridays for Future happened and everybody knows we have to fight climate change, the reality is that for the financial sector and especially the venture sector, it is still a difficult topic that they're just really warming up to. Um, if you are a VC who has um, not a focus on impact or climate uh, or clean tech, but if you're a general investor, you will always compare different investment alternatives. And if, if you have an alternative, which is maybe in the financial tech sector or cybersecurity tech sector or consumer tech, where you know this is a pure software layer. And once they crack the code, I can just, you know, plug millions of millions into that model and they will just, you know, grow all over the world. From the logic that a, a venture capital investor has, that is still a more attractive avenue than investing in a company which might in the long term have a greater value because they have long running contracts and they, you know, they're really deeply embedded in a, in a, in a, in a booming industry like clean tech, but you understand it will take longer. My money can not, you know, push the growth button and I, and I might be actually able to also invest less overall uh, because the, the speed of growth is, is more limited. And, and so the reality is the set of investors um, for the standard climate tech uh, model is smaller than the set of investors for others. And so I think the number one thing is focus on the right uh, investor leads, right? And um, and understand who really has more than just the comparison across different industries, but who is really determined to have impact and invest in the climate tech sphere. I think that's the number one. And then understand that beyond the financial trajectory, also your CO2 impact potential done, then becomes a very important second asset because that's what they're looking after, right? So you can not only make money, but you can also bring down CO2 and they, that's a KPI for those types of investors that, that really want to have a, an impact there. And I think you make, need to make clear that your solution will be a relevant contribution uh, in terms of volume of CO2 saved. And, and then it becomes really interesting. And then it's all about timing. Uh, that's the second part. I think you need to understand what is realistic at this point, how far is the market, and how do you position yourself um, in a fundraising process so that you're also you know, positioning yourself as an opportunity for what is to come. Because everybody knows climate tech is booming and will boom a lot in the next 10 years. Yeah, and that's, that's a good thing. You are mentioning, uh, you know, CO two emissions, and and that's I think a good a good point to jump on the the question I wanted to ask you. Uh, when I saw that you were part of a 
leaders for climate action. So what is it exactly and, and what does it mean for your company? Yeah, so that, that happened last year that, that uh, uh, we got in touch with, um, with one of, uh, of, of the initiators of that. Um, I mean, if you look at our team, uh, and especially my co-founder, Marcus, um, is, 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 a, is a main driver, you know, there are a lot of um, you know, highly convinced, uh, highly idealistic people. It's not like an eco, you know, super alternative group of people, but everybody is intrinsically motivated to contribute uh, to the energy transition to fight climate change. And, and uh, me as well, but I still come from a consulting background. I was in the airplane a couple times a week uh, before 100, and I really had to make a journey where not only would I focus my work, um, uh, not only focus my, my work on something sustainable, which was always the motivation, but also my personal lifestyle. And, and Leaders for Climate Action is cool uh, in a sense that as 100, what we do in terms of our product, our offering automatically is, is you know, sustainable and impact oriented. But at the same time, how about, you know, what we do in our company? You know, how do people travel to the office? I mean, right now they're not traveling, but but generally, how do we travel to client appointments, <laughs> you know, uh, printing, all that kind of stuff. And Leaders for Climate Action is an initiative that motivates founders and other uh, people with impact for themselves privately at home, but also for their companies um, to strive towards uh, climate neutrality, carbon neutrality. And um and the first step is what you have to do there is you have to do some type of auditing, a benchmarking, right? You look at your own emissions uh, at home, but also in your company. And then you can offset it, but at the same time, offsetting only takes you so far. Uh, at the end of the day, we have to reduce. And, um, and, 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 and they motivate, they, they network, they interconnect different founders to inspire each other, how they, how they achieve that, what, what you can do. So it's, it's a really interesting network and a really cool uh, approach um, to get started. And... I'm, I'm extremely proud, especially of 100 in our company, because when we did the auditing, essentially what we found out that as a company, our CO2 footprint is like two households. So it's extremely low um, because we're generally not flying at all. Uh, we're always taking a train. Uh, almost all the people are coming by train or by bike. Um, my co-founder, Marcus, is the driver behind us, you know, using, for instance, used hardware. So we're not buying new hardware. We're always buy, buying, you know, used laptops and so on and all that kind of stuff that actually leads to the fact that uh, we had a really good starting point, but of course we're trying to, to move it to zero. And um, the same privately, I think uh, if you ask my wife, she, uh, uh, she, she went all the way also with me on that journey. Um, but, but I've really come to, you know, to a point where, you know, whatever you, propose to others and to your customers, you have to set an example. Um, and so we are extremely low on meat once or twice a month. Uh, we're uh, really budgeting our, our flight, also private travel uh, a lot um, from especially where we came from to now, I'd say one or two maybe European flights. And so all that kind of stuff is something where leaders for climate action, there are now also other initiatives, climate partner and so on. They really help companies and privates to become aware of what is your footprint and then uh, make suggestions of how can you how can you move it to zero. Okay. So that's a little bit like plan A as well. And, and Lubomila Jonanova was doing that with, with, her, with her company. I think, the, I think the specialty about Leaders for Climate Action is they, they have built a lot of this network thing around it where you have breakfast, virtual breakfast with all these other famous founders um, and so on. And uh, so... 
Right now, it's it's pretty easy because you are focused on the on the German. Is it also the Dach market? Are you also in Austria and Switzerland? Not yet. Germany. Okay, Germany. Uh, but for example, now, like when you come to Berlin, you avoid like you are based in Köln, so in Cologne. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you you come by train. I do, and uh, actually, um, before Corona, I was um, going to Berlin or Hamburg or Munich. I think once a week. Uh, I have twin daughters, so I also have kids. So I'm also trying not to travel the evening before if I don't have to. So very often you will find me in the very first train, uh, I don't know, around 5, 6 a.m. Uh, so, so I'm in Berlin like four and a half, five hours later. Uh, I spent, I think, 2019, I think I spent two nights in the train because I didn't take the last train to get back home and sometimes it gets stuck. Uh, so uh, I had to spend an, a night outside of Berlin in Spandau because the train wasn't progressing. So you stayed in the train? Yeah, we had this. Uh, I mean, you know the Deutsche Bahn. So <laughs> uh, yeah, we had to stay in the train for one night, actually. Yeah, it, it, there was no electricity, no no AC. So they, uh, it was crazy. Yeah, so that's that's how we do it. Exactly. But that's that's also, I mean, it, I agree. It's, uh, it's, I mean, I had to change this mindset too, because I know I love to go far away from here because it's very nice to discover new cultures and everything. But it's, but it, you just realize it's not sustainable to do it yeah. at least the way Absolutely. we used to do it. Even though I was already like every time I was traveling was always for three weeks. Now I would like if I do it next time to do it at least for a couple of months because you know that like then you can settle down there and your capital footprint is not so so high. But in Germany we're pretty like I think lucky in a way because uh, with the Deutsche Bahn like uh, like I mean I'm paying I paid I think 250 euro to have uh, the Deutsche Bahn like 50 so like you get 50 reduction on, on on all like most of the the tickets and. It's pretty handy in a way because when you think about it, sometimes you know I was discussing sometimes why don't you take the the, the plane? It's way faster. And actually, just even that argument is not really true because I go to Munich. My, my girlfriend is from Munich, and to go to Munich, it's like four hours and a half with the with the direct train from here, and I can just leave the home, just walk ten minutes to the station. Uh, to Südkreuz here in Berlin, take the train, and then I have four hours and a half when I can sit down. Uh, take a, have a, even a big suitcase with me and just work on my laptop for four hours and a half and then I'm directly in Munich and then another like an hour train and then it, it, it's done. When you travel by plane, you you think it's just one hour of plane, of flying, but at the end you have to arrive an hour and a half before it starts if you don't want to be in a rush and then you, like, you're like you limited in terms of like a luggage and uh, and then you have to, same thing when you when you, when you come back. And door to door, I think the train for me going to 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 uh, even to Belgium, it's seven hours by train when it's five hours by plane. No, I completely agree. Uh, I think overall we have a good infrastructure, uh, especially here. Like if you're in Cologne, you have uh, not only in Germany, but you can go to Paris in three hours. You can go to Amsterdam in three hours. You can go to Brussels. So uh, it. Uh, it's already good. I think they ha they have to work a bit on the punctuality on on the topic of internet connection uh, because I love to work actually in the train, so it's productive working time. Um, sometimes I have uh, with all these cloud based tools, I have quite quite some connection problems. Um, but but overall, I think it's a very good alternative. And you know, I'm I'm not trying to judge too much. I mean, first of all. If you just look at my uh, consultant time, uh, I think I have to make up quite a bit when it comes to uh, a flying footprint. I mean, um, it's absurd. I had projects in South Africa, you know, where where colleagues and also myself, sometimes you will fly every week. You fly from Frankfurt to Johannesburg and you come back. And, and How many hours is that? 
it's 11 hours overnight uh, and but it's so stressful and then uh, and, and so I think I still believe travel is important. You need to see other cultures, uh, also to avoid, you know, more nationalism. I think it's important that we travel, and I hope that they find better solutions for for flying. I think it would be a very sad perspective to say, you know, you're you're limited to a limited to a radius. Um, uh, so I, I'm hope, hoping something happens there, and I think until then it's more about, you know, budgeting yourself to to something where you say. Um, you know that's that's fine for me. It means in in the workspace where I'm working in in and, in and around Germany, I have no problem, you know, sacrificing some sleep hours for for that. And um, yeah, for private, I will still uh, maybe once a year, sometimes maybe even twice a year, fly somewhere. Uh, usually within Europe, but maybe even sometimes I have family in Haiti. My my dad is from the Caribbean and family in the US. So yeah, I do want to see them every now and then. So that will happen. And um, yeah, I hope technology helps there. But I think also like it's it's really a business. I think the business, uh, the business, the companies have a, have a way bigger impact than even individuals in general. So, uh, but Corona, that's a that's a positive side of Corona, which changed a lot of these things. Oh, absolutely, um, large, large <laughs> difference. Yeah. Let's move on to the like the the, the topic of um, what I wanted to just ask you in in a, in a very like in a nutshell. I always like to understand how you started the company. What were the, like the, the typical challenges you had at the beginning, and especially, especially how you went. You know, you've done your PhD in energy economics at the same time uh, you were working at, at BCG, and you started the company in 2017. So, how did you go from the idea to the you know the company corporation, the the, the first that first step? Yeah, um, just just um, generally, I had my, my topic was always energy and the energy transition. So uh, in my studies already, I worked for in London at, at London School of Economics. In parallel, I worked for the Climate Group, which is an NGO in London. Uh, I had done a intern internship at Eon Climate and Renewables, and so I was set to work in that space. Um, still, was highly impressed by by uh, BCG um, and, and and decided to start my my working career there. But from day one, it was energy uh, and working on energy transition topics. Usually, also some other energy topics, but usually energy transition topics, solar, smart metering, um, and and these kinds of topics uh, with with Germany's and and other leading utilities. And um, in that time, uh, I worked part time for about two and a half years and worked on a PhD at RWTH Aachen. And my topic was on virtual power plants, right? So on connecting different solar and wind systems and managing them together. And, and one of the coolest companies in that space is Nextkraftwerke, also from Cologne, uh, which is not anymore a startup. They're really grown by now, I think 10 years old. Um, but, but that was one of those inspirations for me uh, where I felt like, okay, maybe this this work as a consultant with the large utilities, I can have some impact, but it only takes me so far because at the end it still has to be somehow implemented in those big corporations. And they, they struggle with that quite a bit. And they might have conflicting interests as well on how fast they want to, you know, change. And, and so I, I felt like I have to make a move here. And, and uh, so that was growing. And while I was working at BCG on the weekends, uh, you know, in the last months, couple months or so on the weekends, I would meet one or two other, uh, actually two other people that, that were also interested in doing this uh, and starting up in the, in the climate tech space. And we knew that there was a law coming supporting solar power supply for multifamily housing. And so we, we had our eyes set on that real estate multifamily sector because we felt, okay, 
all those solar systems on single family houses on you know on farms in the land uh, in the landscape but nothing in the city on those multifamily houses and so that's where we want to start and we want to find a, a way to scale that and uh yeah then i was completely hooked and, and on fire but the other people that i conceptualized 100 with um find it found it hard to make the jump you know, out of high-paid, um, stable uh, consulting environments. Uh, but I was determined on doing it anyways. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to find a co-founder that I don't know yet. And um, through my connections at Aachen University, where I had, I had done my PhD, I came in contact with uh, Markus Reinhold. Uh, we had a very good chemistry. Uh, he decided to scale down to part-time in his existing job. And, and uh, we tested this, and it worked well. And then uh, he, he joined the ship. How long did it take you before between like uh, when like uh, when when you between basically like what's the timeline between the first months ideating the company with the people who didn't were not part of it and then finding Marcus and then incorporating the company? It should have taken me longer. <laughs> uh, that's an advice I would give. Um, I had a good pre-education because I know the knew the space really well. I had worked in that space quite in detail as well, so I had a. I had quite a confidence, but maybe a bit too much, uh, because I think taking your time to really understand what it is that you want to offer and doing more inter iterations also with potential customers would have maybe saved us some time after founding until it, it grows. You know, So you can maybe spend less money and time uh, by investing a bit more in your pre-research. I started, let's say, realistically, I think in the fall of 16, uh, October 16, maybe. That's when we were sitting down on weekends. Could have been a bit earlier. I'm not 100% sure. And over the winter, and um, uh, I decided to, to cancel my employment um, and started working full-time on this in February. I was still on the payroll. I had, like, could take some you know, leftover month that I could take, some leave months. Um, and then the official founding was end of May. Um, and, and so I would say overall a bit more than half a year. Uh, from okay, I want to do this. Let's let's think about this. To 100 uh, is is the company. You you are mentioning already some of the like uh, the advices you you sent me. So I think it's a perfect gem to talk about that because it's a. Uh, uh, thank you very much for sending me this like a list of do's and, and and don'ts. Actually, it's a lot of like it's only do's, but it's 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 great. Uh, that where on the topic I asked you to 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 focus on the topic of how to optimize and develop a new energy solution in the B 2 B real estate market. So the first tip or advice you sent me was uh, focus on a very specific use case uh, that can be bought and used immediately. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I think it speaks a bit also to that, that point I alluded to. I mean, um, the one thing is you have to know about yourself and also your co-founders What is your mindset? Are you driven by a certain technology you know, or a certain vision like I want to fight climate change? If you understand that about yourself, you could say, hey, that's great. I have a great motivation, but I probably have a very poor understanding of what the actual opportunity really is. You know, what is really the product that, that I can start with that uh, a landlord, you know, let's say a big company, a big real estate company, whoever that is, wants to buy now. And um, you need to make sure that you do enough research, interviewing to understand What is something that I can start with that I can also implement in a, in a fairly short time? 
that that I can find first customers with. And um, I think uh, that's something that is worth spending quite a bit of time on because it saves you a lot of time later when you already maybe have 10 or 15 or 20 people and you you maneuver a bit uh, because you uh, maybe have some learnings that, I mean, it's always easy to say in hindsight, (laughs) you should have done differently, but where you say, okay, maybe I could have uh, understood this early on in the process. So what was your process in that case? Uh, you, you mentioned interviews. Did you use surveys or were you more on the like, kind of like, you know, design user research interviews uh, where it was in-depth interviews? And how many have you, of, of them have you done? It's a mix. I think the one is the direct customer feedback for, for a sector like ours. The other important input is at the end of the day also, you know, regulation and things that are coming up that they're just mandatory so if a real estate com- if you know the real estate companies would have to do exactly this and that they will need a solution for exactly this and that uh, so one thing is really to understand what will the laws and the trends lead them to that they maybe may not be able to define and tell you in an interview right now so you have to do that on your own and then the other thing is interviews um so we had a, i mean at that point uh, we made a little bit of a sh- of a shift or, or a shape, reshaping of our product logic in 2020 and at that point we already had um, uh, more than 10 larger customers so we used interviews multi-stage interviews with them as well um, and and learnings that we had so that's something that's of course a bit harder to do when they're not your customers yet but um, that that was more of a refining process in the beginning what i did is i found my first customer uh, through my network um, and a, a landlord, uh, she actually, uh, owner of uh, a number of buildings and I knew she, she was second generation owner. She was interested in um, having innovative solutions for her buildings. And then I really used in-depth interviews to have a first hypothesis um, of what how it needs to be structured, what the pitfalls are. And I think that is a point where based on, I would realistically say this in-depth work and then like four or five others uh, we started, and I think we should have done some more pre-research to, I mean, everything we did was generally right, but it's not specific enough. You know, how exactly is the pricing? Uh, what is exactly the pricing model? Um, uh, you know, what uh, what is the, is the minimum version that they need and, and versus what they can wait with, wait with? So more of these detailed questions that help you structure your, your initial product a bit uh, more specifically. Okay, so that that's a bit. Uh, I guess you can iterate a bit on that, but that's uh, a bit including your second advice, which which is be extremely precise about the customer's pain point and what this means for the product design. Um, so maybe you can iterate a bit on that, or maybe like the question I can ask you is like, what kind of questions do you ask the customer to find out these things? without you know being biased or by being able to know that's that it is really what they want to, to be developed yeah it's it's super hard and at the end i mean of course uh, the vision uh, and that's why i mean uh, there are a lot of methodologies that can be deployed i think still at the end of the day um you also uh, from an understanding of the industry and also personality of, of founders, you need to also have a vision. Uh, I mean, great entrepreneurs, some will have that and they don't always, I think, directly get that from the customers. They get that from things they observe uh, and then a clear vision of where this will lead to. And, and they can sometimes be wrong and be right. But um, 
yeah, well, you have one thing, of course, I mean, it's a, it's a very obvious one. You can have some type of mock-ups. And if your, software, if your product is not just software, mock-up often is, is a presentation uh, or um, a pitch where you offer the product and just see if they buy it. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be there, right? Um, uh, so you need to be able to deliver it uh, in a certain time frame. But, um, I mean, that's number one. You make a presentation of your value proposition uh, and you go to multiple potential customers and you see... Uh, what they what they jump to and what they don't and uh, and for us you know our customers put a lot of skin in the game uh, they're typically wealthy because they have these are companies that have many buildings they earn have high earnings and then they need to invest multiple thousand euros per, per building to install solar they need to trust us with a long-term contract so if they buy it that's the best proof yeah or if they if they audit that's the best proof is it the how you got your first customer you basically like made a presentation of what is it you're going to sell? And then she, she said, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Exactly, yeah. And then, um, and then of course, the lengthy process was, was the whole contract thing because you make a B2B contract, a long-running contract per building. So that was a second step. But yeah, we pitched, we pitched the concept uh, to her and then to others, and we iterated that. And then uh, she bought it. Uh, somebody else bought it. That was the first customer that we had not known at all. Uh, so, you know, uh, that's, that's, I think an important indication. Do you get people who don't know you to buy it? And it sounds really simple, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just with investors, with customers, you have to pitch it. You have to pitch features. Um, you shouldn't lie in the sense that, you know, you just make something up. Um, but when you have alternatives, you can say, okay, to this group of leads, I will pitch it in this way. And to this group of leads, I will pitch, pitch it in that way. Different pricing model, for instance. Uh, different contract length, and then I will see what the feedback is. But in the B2B space, you can only test so much because your sample size is limited. So you cannot test 100 variables, right? So you have to go for two or three setups, and those have to somehow come from your experience and your view of the market because you won't be able to test all these variables individually. It's just you can't ask enough people and you lose your customer base. Dear entrepreneurs, I make a one minute, 20 seconds break for an important announcement. I get a lot of positive feedback about this podcast and I'm really happy I started it. But I know there is one thing wrong about it. For you, entrepreneurs out there like me, your time is limited. You love to learn, but you don't always have the time to listen to the long episode of this podcast. So I decided to create a best of series with a special format. 10 audio episodes between 3 to 10 minutes, shorter than a coffee break. There are only hands-on advice shared in this podcast about, for example, how many times you should iterate to create the right product before giving up, how to find and pitch investors, how to inspire and build a thriving team, how to win clients when you have an environmental mission, how to sell your first paid pilots to big corporates, or how to prepare and to get a TED Talk. In total, this is 12 hours, 50 minutes of interviews I have condensed in 10 audio episodes of less than 10 minutes. These best-of episodes are an exclusive bonus for the members of my newsletter, so if you want to receive them for free, go to my website, gtimpact.com, gtimpact.com, or find the link in the description of this episode and sign up to receive the full series of best of episodes to enjoy every time you have 10 minutes and you want to learn something about growing your business and having a greater positive impact on this planet. So I leave you here. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Yeah, very good point.
Um, the third one is the third tip was software only does not really work yet. Uh, you mean here in that case in the in the energy sector? So can you explain a bit more about this one? Uh, I think that is, I mean, that is a conviction uh, that I have. Um, energy sector is maybe a bit too broad, but let's say the distributed energy. So we talk about, you know, solar and battery and, and because software as a service works only on, a, on an existing asset stack, right? Sounds super theoretical, but uh, if you have Slack or if you have Zoom, why does it work? Well, because the internet cables are there and everybody has a computer, that's the that's the you know that's the, the precondition. Um, if it wasn't there, somebody has to bring it there, uh, and then you can come with Zoom, and then you can come with Slack. But it first has to be brought there. And when you talk about the energy transition, and you talk about distributed energy like solar and battery and and so on, in multifamily housings, it's just not there yet. So uh, if you then come up with a software as a service solution, you can do a few things. You can have some analytics tools. How do I assess my building portfolio? How can I do this and that? But at the end of the day, the challenge for these companies, real estate companies, and also homeowners today is putting those technologies in the buildings. And they need somebody to help them all the way. And part of that all the way means somebody has to go to these buildings and check out what's in the basement. Somebody has to install something, you know, and, and hardware has to be bought. And so at the end of the day, the solution is always a mix of software, hardware, services to make it a reality. Doesn't mean you have to do everything on your own. I think that's a big error. Uh, we also s started doing way too much on our own, uh, which we then cannot de develop to quality. But you need to work in partnerships and you have to have an ecosystem that at the end of the day solves the, the total problem. Um, whereas if you already had solar everywhere, you know, every multifamily house, you have a solar system and smart meters, of course, then that's the next generation of entrepreneurs, but that's 10, 15 years from now they can come with SaaS offerings to make it more efficient or to use it a bit differently. Um, we're trying to combine it because we believe that creates also a bigger lock-in and a long-term story for our company. But it means you cannot grow as fast because the asset base is not yet there. And yeah, and, and I think VCs always uh, come from the mindset, at least if they're not impact or clean tech VCs, they come to the mindset, I would love software only. But software always means there's a hardware reality already that you can apply your software to. And how um, you mentioned, like you know, the, the one of the mistake you, you you made or you tried to do it too much on your own at the beginning. So what did you partner for? Uh, how what did you outsource? Not really outsourcing in that case, but what is the thing that you you've uh, partnered with? And that what is a mistake you've done when you said you you've done too much on your own at the beginning? Yeah, I think the number one thing is the, the the solar systems. So very few multifamily housings today have solar systems. So typically when a real estate company approaches us and they say, we want to roll out solar power supply for our users, you know, what we bring really as a strength to the table is doing the smart metering, you know, tracking the consumption, the production, doing all the invoicing, you know, all the servicing. That's us with our platform and our processes. But we're not so strong at actually, you know, purchasing solar modules from the wholesale market and having installers that do this. So we had, we worked with partners from the beginning uh, to do this, this, this hardware uh, solar part, but we still were, you know, the general contract partner for the real estate company. So we would actually purchase the, the hardware and the installation from partners and sell it on to the real estate companies. 
And then we learned, uh, and that's something we have changed over the course of 2020, we don't really create that much value by doing this. Uh, real estate companies are really accustomed to working with installation partners. They do it every day. When it comes to the roof, the heating, they already have a big network. Um, and so what is really our value by being in between, you know, rather than just recommending solar installers to our real estate customers that they can directly negotiate with, negotiate the prices. And we just come in when the solar system is ordered and installed. And that was one key change where we said, look, we're not on top of our smart metering and software and process expertise. We cannot also right now build up the solar installation expertise. And we don't need to be in the way between solar installing companies and our customers. So you are, in that case, you are not buying these hardware anymore. You work with a partner who is actually like installing them, but you can help to finance, you can help the, the landlords or the tenants to finance the, this, this installation. Um, yes or no. We have a, we have a, a financing fund uh, next to 100, which is uh, built to finance solar systems. And we've done that already in a six-figure range. And, and there are two major products projects um, that would bring it over the 1 million funding range as well. But um, that was also very important learning uh, that we uh, made also, I would think, in 2019, um, that most real estate companies sit on quite a bit of cash uh, and they like to invest uh, and they also like to have full control of everything that is in and around their buildings. So us financing and owning the systems on their roofs isn't really what they're looking for, at least not the customers we're working with right now, because we're working really now with the biggest real estate companies in Germany. So we're working with the big shots. So that's that's why we said, look, we're looking at your building portfolio together. Uh, we make a roadmap of what you want to roll out. And then here is, here's the list of solar partners that you can work with. They buy it from them. They own it. They finance it. And they just let us know when it's installed and then we are the operators, if you want. And, and that is a, a shift in the value or a split in the value chain between the customers and us, which leaves a lot of value also for our customers because they also want to earn money on, on this business model and uh, which makes it easier for us to focus on the things that we're really good at. Uh, that, that brings me down to the, the fourth uh, advice that you said, because you're talking about personas and subsegments. You said pin down your personas and subsegments early. Yes. And that's that's exactly it. I mean, we, we've now come up with these product packages and, and they work extremely well, even though uh, as we speak right now, the website is not even yet live. And, and you, technically speaking, nobody by now knows about it, but it's, and, but it's picked up so much traction uh, via referrals from existing customers to other real estate companies. And this is how we really knew now we have, we have the product market fit. And, and um, I think... I came into this 100 experience and also my co-founder, we knew quite a bit about energy and I knew quite a bit about renewable energy and, and, and the technicalities of our business, but we were new to the real estate world. And I think we had a too general way of structuring it. Uh, I mean, yes, you have companies that are building, developing uh, buildings, then you have owners and then you have facility managers, but you really have to understand, you know, companies that own more than 10,000 housing units are super different from you know, privately owned, from public, communal, uh, like uh, publicly owned. Um, so all these differences, you really have to play them out and understand what drives their pain points. And for us, what we understood is, as of now, our customers are the larger real estate companies because they have much more pressure to bring their CO2 down. Uh, they're either on the stock exchange and their investors are demanding it, or they even belong to a city. In Berlin, for instance, you have about six 
landlord companies that be that that are part actually of the city of Berlin and the city of Berlin says we want to become the solar city Berlin. So there's a lot of pressure, and and so these larger real estate companies that belong to the to the local governments or that belong uh, to in private investors have much more pressure than smaller you know, family-owned real estate companies, for instance. And, and so that's why we focus on this big segment. And also we have much more leverage because they have bigger portfolios and they want to have uh, a more ambitious roadmap. But I guess the competition for these like big fish is really, really high. Yes. Uh, I think our positioning now with what we offer is quite unique uh, because it enables them to uh, somehow do it on their own, you know, Uh, towards the residents while still relying on us for the majority of the work to be done. And that's because it's more than software. That's an important point. You know, we're not just offering them software. We're also helping them with the, the services around it, which they need and like a lot. So they don't have to build over years the experience and the capacities internally. Um, so our positioning is, is good. I think the question is more, you don't really we don't really compete so much with other companies now. We compete more with the question of... Um, How fast do they want to scale this? You know, what? How does it rank against other initiatives in those big companies? Because you always have to prioritize this to the executive level, and that's where really Fridays for Future and all these new laws have changed so much because now the pressure is on, and that helps us quite a bit. And uh, we're happy that we're working with customers who are, you know, really taking a very close look. They look at the business case. They have their own financial models for this, so you don't get away with anything that's not. Not working, not good, but that helps us also shape an excellent offering. And uh, it's also something that speaks to, you know, our personalities also as, as founders and a team. I think we're much more B2B type of uh, people, more consultant oriented than like a mass market uh, type of type of team. And and that's good to see then like your approach was fine. when you said that now you really know that you found market, product market fit because you reached that point where After tackling several, like you had a very already like a, as you said a pretty good strategy to start with, and you you, you pinned it down, uh, quite niche, but you still had a few uh, like a customer persona, and now you when you finally find uh, something where that starts to grow just by word of mouth very very quickly, you know that's basically that that's where that's where your your sweet spot is. exactly. So once we decided to open our, you know, service-based offering, uh, the Mieterstrom Active, once we decided that to open it for new customers, even though it's not on the website and not public yet, um, it just started, you know, our existing two customers in that space, they started um, uh, suggesting us. And that's just been the, the middle of 2020. And now I think we have a pipeline of about 30, 35 um, major accounts, the biggest real estate companies, the biggest uh, utilities in Germany that, that want to use this solution. And even though you can't even see it on the website. And so that's when you know, um, yeah, you've, you've hit, a, hit a spot that, that, that kind of matches with what they want. And then you have so many conversations on the top level with these people and you see it's what exactly they need and that it really speaks. And so we are extremely confident now and that's the time when we say, now we need to be in attack mode uh, because we really understood that what we do is what they want. And now it's all about making sure everybody knows about it and making sure we can deliver it um, at scale as well. That's great. It's perfect. Uh, that's, yeah, that's perfect also to, to talk about the next point, which is break your product down to manage complexity. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's, I think some part is, is what we talked about already, which is the, the solar and the hardware part. I think we're really good in the smart meter space. We're not, we're not solar installers on our own. And we understood, okay, we don't need to move much, much deeper. We're good at managing solar systems. We're good at operating them, but the installation part, leave that to the partners, let the partners work with our customers. So that's, that's one, one key example, I would say. Um, but it goes further than that. I mean, um, every feature that you offer always has, uh, also brings a responsibility to deliver that feature. And I think, so you need to carefully think about the components and understand what it really, uh, we found ourselves offering like two or three things, aspects of our offering that at the end of the day, didn't matter so much to the customers. And so uh, it's it's a discipline exercise, which I find extremely hard. And also I think many in our team who are really engineering driven, leave it out, you know, just just kill it um, and, and dare to jump um, into, into saying also no. Um, also, not only with features, but also with segments. Uh, we have a lot of um, so-called uh, VEG is calling us. So these are multifamily housings that, that don't belong to one company which rents out the apartments, but these are multifamily housings where each apartment is owned by the by the family or whoever lives there, or they rent it out to somebody else. So you have not one decision maker for the building, but you have like 10 or 20. They call us a lot, but then typically it's just the owner of one apartment of 10. And that means even if they're really convinced, you have to convince the other nine. So that's, for instance, something where we generally say, sorry, uh, not available. And, um, and, and these kinds of decisions you, you have to make it's at some point, it sounds a bit like, Oh my God, but we have a lead here. Um, but you have to make these hard cuts and also when it comes to the features. And the last tip you sent was be experienced, which is <laughs> a tip, but uh, so a precondition maybe, but uh, <laughs> like, yeah, maybe you can share your experience of the, 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 the real estate market, I guess here. Yeah, I think or you could put it differently, gain experience. Um, I mean, I kind of contradict myself because as I mentioned with the real estate market, I was not so experienced, but, um, but very experienced when it comes to the energy side. And, and even though our customers are in the real estate space, at the end of the day, we have an energy solution that we offer. And I think a lot of the climate tech sectors, not all of them, but, but many of them are very complex. Um, and um, I think it can be really overwhelming to deal with this kind of complexity and see through it and structure the, the way to like grow your product. And so um, starting with B2B real estate and energy solution is probably uh, at the intersection of complex and challenging customer segment and complex and challenging solution. And uh, I think it might not be the best way for somebody who just graduated, for instance, to say, you know, I go in that space. Uh, you might want to, work in that industry, have a network, um, you know, on this, yeah, come in, you know, running already um, rather than starting from scratch or, or, or maybe just start with like a, a solution which is more B2C oriented or which is a bit lighter, at, I would say, in terms of, you know, the value chain that you, that you do because uh, the more value chain you cover, the, the bigger your customers, the more, you know, critical decisions you have to make uh, at any time. And the more expertise is needed to 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 get it going. Yes. What is um, the background of your your co-founder, by the way? Because you are the CEO and you have a business background focused on energy. He's a he's an engineer from Aachen University, a mechanical engineer focused on product development and renewable energies. So he is the technical counterpart. 
Um, and he had also done some work develop, uh, in, in, in development um, and, and engineering projects also internationally. And so I think he's very strong uh, methodically um, and on, on the operations part. And, and, and so uh, that was a really good match. Uh, also, I'm more like, I think I'm, I'm driving, I'm pushing, I'm pushing division, I'm pushing people. Um, I'm a very good person to start new stuff. I'm probably not the best to finish it. Uh, I think he's more like the, the finisher who makes sure that, you know, we things run diligently and, and there's a process for it. So I, I guess that's how it, that's how it works. And it was also his first like a uh, venture, his first uh, like entrepreneur project as well yeah for both of us and uh and that you have to understand that that makes things harder so um not so much necessarily from the product itself but then a lot of things around it how do i do this how do i do that you know growing the team doing all these kinds of stuff uh, it helps to have uh, an entrepreneur on board when you have a new venture if you have the luxury to have one or meet one um i think where it helps most is probably fundraising Uh, because we have a lot of this mentality also in the investment scene where if somebody already did something once, which was somewhat successful, let's say, you know, had an exit or whatever, there's an automatic boost in trust uh, that the next thing will also work. And so it's much easier to get capital if you've already done something. And it makes also sense, I guess, because the risk of making some mistakes is, is just a bit lower, of course. And in Germany, I think it plays a huge role uh, in investment. Uh, scene. Yes, because yeah, as we as we know, the the, the, the market is pretty conservative, and I think yeah. probably like probably even more right now. Yeah. Um, before, thank you very much for all these tips. They are very very sure. uh, useful. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you to get uh, to get back to before we, we finish with the usual questions is, you mentioned you are like doing a lot of effort to to have like part timers, and you like to work with part timers. I had two questions regarding that was like. Did you manage, did you have some people in the, in the core co-founding team or in the, in the very first employees that you employed part-time? And if so, how did you manage that uh, in terms of equities, for example? And yeah, what's your, do you have any like secret on how you manage your, your part-timers in terms of whatever, of, like contracts, but also schedule and organizations, meetings and everything to get yeah. them involved and motivated? <laughs> Ah, it's, it's not always easy. I mean, in the beginning, definitely. I mean, even my co-founder, when, when he joined initially, it, it was part-time because he was still in his old job. So the first month it was part-time. But I think if I'm not mistaken, it was, we even did it in a freelance logic because we said, okay, let's, let's start. You have another job. Um, so that's, that's something I'm very interested about because I'm, I'm in a similar situation right now. <laughs> so you studied with them as a freelancing part saying like, hey, I'm working full time because you can't. So like in that case, you, you just count the hours and agreed that you'll pay them after or you pay them every month as a normal freelancer at the beginning. No, he, he, yeah. Um, I, he, he, he would have, <laughs> I, I'm not sure when he actually sent his, his invoice and asked to be paid. Uh, but <laughs> I think that was actually at the end, but generally the deal was, yeah, every month you, um, I think he had two days. I'm not 100% sure, two or three days available. And he committed in his other job. He's, um, to, you know, to not just leave there. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there was a freelance contract. 
Um, and once we both figured out, we really click, you know, personal level and also competence wise, um, then, then he joined ship and worked full time. So no, uh, at that point, then it was both founders full time. And that's also how we decided to make the arrangements with, you know, um, equity and options and whatever, uh, even though also that has changed over time. So because I first started everything, I had also done the initial payments and my family was also invested. So it was, you know, we started very asymmetrically and over time we, we adjust it uh, more and more. Um, but um, when it comes to the, the team overall, um, you know, we, uh, I mean, one thing that's also striking, if you look at, uh, I'm not sure about other countries, but the German um, entrepreneurial scene, it's it's not diversified at all. <laughs> uh, you know, the founding teams always look the same and then the whole team also. And so, um, you know, being a parent of my, myself, also my co-founder now being a parent, uh, we wanted to make sure that we make it possible for men, but also women who are parents um, and also people in other circumstances, you know, who are super talented, but maybe have another interest. So we, to, to, to somehow combine that and find a way. It's not always easy. Uh, finding meetings and some sometimes challenging, but like our head of sales uh, works 80%. Our head of uh, account management used to work 80%. He now stepped up. Um, and um, our product uh, lead uh, went from 60 now to 80%, uh, mother of three. So all these things, you know, we make possibly find individual arrangements while trying to make sure that, you know, uh, it somehow fits in a schedule that we can make it possible. But uh, it gives us access to superior talent. Uh, I mean, that's the bottom line, you know, and it makes people not leave. Uh, it's that simple. Uh, I can tell everybody you work 100% now, but if it just doesn't fit with their reality, then they then they will leave or be frustrated. So uh, making it possible might mean some sacrifices, in, uh, you know, in your operational scheduling, but I think you benefit double and triple by the talent that you get and the satisfaction. And we just don't have any churn uh, of people that we, that we want to have on board. Uh, we don't have any churn at all so far and knock on wood, but, uh, but that's extremely critical in a, in a phase like this. And, and on top of that, we also work a lot with students. Uh, we have the RWTH Aachen, super good university for renewable energy and for computer engineering. We have the TH Köln, the technical university, uh, we get outstanding talent. Uh, we have people, working students, who do just phenomenal jobs. And uh, that's why we standardized our processes so much that somebody can come in for a day, do work, get out, and somebody else can continue that you know, workflow. Uh, you have to standardize your processes a lot. And so by standardizing these processes, you manage to have the people respecting as well the they, they, they 80% time, for example, or are they sometimes on a flexible schedule that like they, they work just more, they can kick it off, uh, kick in and, and work more when, when, when needed to, 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 to meet the deadlines? Yeah, but that has to be, I mean, that has to be aligned with. So what we don't really want also managing costs is, you know, we're not saying, yeah, just work and work and then let us know how much it was. So that's not, that's not, so we have a, we have an agreed frame. Sometimes it's a bit more. Uh, and we say, look, if it was a bit more, talk to us. Uh, first of all, let's talk upfront if you know it will be more, but if it turns out to be more, we just had to pull th something through, uh, let us know. And then you take a day off uh, or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, but we, we count on people not, you know, tracking their hours maliciously, uh, but rather just, um, talking to their team lead when they when they see they come into a bottleneck. Yeah, that's great to know. Like uh, that's I mean I went through the same situation with my previous company as well, where I was actually I initiated the 
the flexible schedule uh, of people could work from 32 to 40 hours, which was great, but comes with a, with the cons that you just mentioned that then people start to count all the hours and, and doing the payrolls at the end of the month was a, yeah. <laughs> was a very difficult yeah. task. So if I, if I had to do it again, I would probably go to, towards your direction because I, I think what you said is, is critical uh, by being flexible, by, by offering flexibility of, of work. Uh, you get more talent, and you 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 have people happy in their work. Exactly. But it's uh, it's 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 often more difficult than just having the typical contracts or the, the worst companies doing. Okay, you work forty hours, and actually you work fifty. Yeah. And they do that with every employee. I, I completely agree, and I think it doesn't always work for everyone. But we're trying to make it possible. I think on a founder level, uh, it's probably more challenging if you have that because yeah, if you have a situation where like. You know, if, at least you need to have to have the same understanding. I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much I'm working, uh, but it will be in a range of typically, I don't know, 60, 70 hours probably. Uh, and, 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 you know, if you have then, co you know, one, somebody is tracking literally the hours and the other person, you know, has the idea of, you know, going wherever it takes. And then, you know, then I think it will be difficult. So that's, I think, important that you have a similar understanding. Uh, and make sure that there are no hidden frustrations in the founders team. So that was also really good when we found uh, our collaboration that we had a similar understanding of we make try to make everything possible. We are really driven uh, when we feel that, okay, this is too much. Uh, I have like my daughters uh, here with Corona now, you know, sometimes kindergarten closed, you know, no problem, you know, let's rearrange. Uh, but you need to have the feeling that it balances out over time. Thank you for the the feedback and the the comment. I think uh, uh, it's a very good point. Um, switching to the last part of this interview, the usual questions. Um, what what is like? Which book would you recommend entrepreneurs uh, like you to to read? Or let's say, what is one of the last books you you read that 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 you would recommend others? Um. I mean, you're tapping into a huge weakness because I have to say that my reading habits have gone, uh, have worsened a lot, especially with the job and and uh, father fatherhood. <laughs> but um, I mean, right now I'm reading the the Obama book, which inspires me a lot. Um, it's not definitely not per se an entrepreneur's book, but I just love it because it gives you really deep insight in into the thinking of somebody who has to first of all combine private life and a really responsible job, and also how how to make decisions. So that's a, I think it's a really cool book, even though I haven't finished it yet. Um, so on the more like uh, entrepreneurial side, if you want, or like uh, factual books, very early on, I think my father, when I was like 14, 15, I think my father gave me the seven habits of highly effective people. Uh, so that was a cool book back then. Um, recently, I liked uh, Zero to One from Peter Thiel. It helped me to understand a bit better also the investor's mindset. Um um let me think what did i have um I'm trying to think of an interesting book <laughs> um the obama one is a like it's the second time in a week that somebody recommends it to me the obama one yeah yeah i mean of course it's also selling really well now but it is really good um and um other than that you know when i read to be honest i i do read on business i read on medium and stuff um so yeah um, lean startup is cool but but i try to also read political stuff and more historical stuff to get a bit of a wider uh you know sense i'm also really interested in politics and in uh, income equality and stuff like that so why nations fail was one of my favorite books that i've read over the last uh, 24 months 
um, especially when you have a background, like my father said, from Haiti. So stuff like that is, is interesting to me as well. Um, and I think you need to, if you, you, you will think so much about your business, you will talk to so many people. Uh, for me, when I find the time to read, especially at night, uh, I try to also use it as a method to take me away from business a bit. <laughs> On 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 that topic, I'm uh, I'm reading Humankind now, uh, which is very very interesting uh, as well. Yeah. I, I don't know if you you've read. Uh, do you know Do you know it? I don't know. I haven't read it yet. No. You've probably heard about uh, you know Harari and, and, yes. and Sapiens. I read Sapiens. I read Sapiens. That was great. Yeah. The thing is, like when Harari is like like having a pretty negative uh, opinion of the humankind. Here, the author is actually. And with a very scientific approach and very detailed, with a lot of resources, analyzing the whole past of the like uh, humankind to show that actually we're not that bad and we will find solutions. And I'm myself a very pessimist. I mean, op optimist in, in a way that like I'm always in a positive mood and I always try to look at the bright side of things. But I'm pretty pessimistic about the future of the humankind because of how the people in power actually how they usually care about uh, only their power and, and the money. But This book is slowly starting to change my mind. Okay, cool. That's a that's a big impact. Yeah, yeah, it's a very very good one. I, I put the the resources in. A, it was my Christmas gift, and uh, uh, I, I really enjoy it. Well, that sounds sounds interesting. Uh, yeah, generally, I I think beyond business, uh, just as a, like a as a as a call to action uh, from uh, that I like to share is just. I think we all need to be extremely political. Uh, I think the, if you look at, okay, I'm pessimistic about the future. Um, how will we manage climate change? Will we even <laughs> manage Corona? Everything in between. Um, I tend to be also a bit pessimistic, uh, realistic, pessimistic about how we can change. But it's also a result of the fact which resources you pour, pour into. You know, I wouldn't expect Einhunda to become a success if I was working with a mediocre team. So, and I think we, um, we expect, well, I'm not generally judging. I know that there are a lot of bright people in politics, but I think overall as a citizen, we're kind of leaving like super complex politics to maybe not the top, top talent. And I think that's important even when you're a founder and super busy, but I think the top, top talent has to engage in political processes Uh, because everything is so challenging that, that the politics and, you know, the administration, governments, they, they need quality people to, to get engaged. And, and that's something that I would love to see more because then you have a bigger chance also besides business to also have, you know, more progressive political agenda become a reality. And to be able to find, as you mentioned it before, if you want to be able to, to be aware of trends, It's not only about business; it's about the whole, like you know, system system thinking. That's why system thinking is is becoming so important right now because you need to be aware of the whole system to to be able to have an influence and to to be visionary if you want to be visionary. Absolutely. And after all, I mean, people are saying different things, but Fridays for Future, you know, Greta and and uh, Luisa Neubauer and all this this movement already has had incredible impact, you know on where we're going right now. Uh, both companies, uh, CEOs who are mothers or fathers of you know kids demonstrating uh, the political changes. So that was to me a huge motivator to see first of all how motivated and how progressive the youth is uh, and also to see what impact this has had already even on, on what we're doing and how we, our demand is increasing. So I think there's a lot that can be done. 
Yeah, and I agree too. And and uh, I'm I'm very positive about the, the the new generation, and and it's funny because you are the second one. Like I mean, Robert Shrimp from Solar for Schools also like insisted so much on how much like he said he literally said it like his company would not be here with the success he has without uh, Solar for School, uh, not Solar for Schools, without Fridays for Future. And, exactly, and, and I think just... it's it's a time game. The question is, how much time do we have? You know, I'm arguing with my with my parents or other people uh, in that age category about you know trying to reduce meat, you know, and stuff. Um, but it's what they've been used to. And then if uh, if you look at the younger generation, I'm not. I don't know the statistics, but I don't know a, a large percentage are vegetarians already. Um, and but they are not making the politics right now, right? The politics is, is made by our parents' generation. So I think we have to engage in the politics. But it's coming, and the question is just, is it coming uh, early enough? So, yeah. yeah, let's hope we we aim at, like, I think Norway, who has, like, four, four women political leaders under 35 or under 40 for, for, for the country. Let's move to the next question, because I think we can talk a lot about politics. <laughs> Let's t- stick to the topic of entrepreneurship. You said you, you don't have a lot of time for, for, for books, but, uh, or at, um, at least uh, you, don't, you don't use that time for business books. But do you have any training, podcast, blogs, or influencers you'd recommend to entrepreneurs and people growing a startup to, to, uh, with a sustainable goal to follow? Yeah, for sure. My focus is right now a lot on B2B sales and B2B marketing. So I have a couple there that I can also share later. I have to actually pick them out. But but one thing that has, you know, um, that I've been been hearing consistently over the years is is the Energy Gang, uh, which is a podcast from Green Tech Media from the US um, talking about... The Energy Gain or Game? Gang, like... Uh, a gang, okay. Yeah, um, which is a really cool podcast about uh, major trends, a bit US focused, but typically has a global implication. Uh, they also have a spin-off called the Interchange, so I like those a lot. Uh, talking to really cool founders, I've discovered a, um, a podcast that I like a lot. Um, uh, I think it's from a Scandinavian energy clean energy consultant guy, um, which is uh, which is leaders in clean tech. Uh, talking to a number of really cool, um, yeah. Um, decision makers in the clean tech space. So that's one I could recommend. Um, and then I'm also, you know, for instance, sometimes for lunch, I like go jogging, put the kids in the, uh, in, in the trolley, go jogging, put on a podcast. I'm usually searching more for like topics. You know, I'm like, okay, I want to learn on account-based marketing. And and then I uh, just type it in and I find different stuff. So that sounds super general, but I'm more like more topic-oriented person and then look, okay, which podcast do I like? And again, going back, I know it's not so much business, but I think you need to know about what's going on. So it's in German, but I'm, I'm from Handelsblatt, which is a German inst- um, important um, uh, paper, economic paper. They have quite a number of good good podcasts that I like, and, and I listen to Global Chances every time it comes out. It gives more like a large economic background and helps you also understand where where it's going and things are going. Um, and Global Chances. Yeah. And for I mean, if you're a founder, how do you want to plan 2021 if you don't have an idea of, you know, how will Corona, I mean, you, nobody knows how exactly it would pan out, but also what will be the impact on the overall economic situation. It's very likely that it will affect your business plan execution as well. Yes, very good point. Um, the last question I would ask you is like, tell us one thing about you that I wouldn't be able to find out online. <laughs> Um, couple of things, I guess. Uh, I, I would say 
just about interest. I mean, I'm first of all, I love sports. I love especially basketball. That used to be my sport. Uh, now I've went more to tennis in, in last year because it was still allowed. And I really come to enjoy it a lot. Um, but uh, I used to, uh, when I was young, I used to do a lot of music, especially hip hop music. Um, and was engaged in like producing, uh, making beats. So that's still a passion, like music overall. And I'm not mixing or doing anything like this right now. But But that's... I have this boombox here at home from when I go to the shower to whatever I do, it typically walks with me, bring the kids to sleep. You always have the boombox and some type of music on. So that's, uh, that's especially in times when you have to stay at home a lot. It's really what uh, fuels me. That's a nice fun fact. Um, I think I have in one of the last questions, because I'm reading through my questions. Um One last one maybe would be, uh, which error have you made in the past that you wouldn't commit again if you are to start over now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, regarding the, 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 the company, I think uh, on the operational level, there are so many. Uh, it's, it's very hard to say. I mean, uh, on the positive side, I would say I'm fairly decision happy. And I think you have to be uh, if you, if you uh, start a company. Um, Um, I think at least for the early first year, um, we should have been a bit more conservative in hiring decisions, you know, uh, keep, keep, uh, the cash burn a bit lower, uh, also understand better what it really is that you need in terms of also, you know, team. So I think, uh, Now it doesn't really matter, but uh, I think we could have um, could have been a bit more, you know, smaller, higher, less, faster. Yeah. Yes. It's, at least in the beginning, I think we've we've got it to a good level now. But that's yeah. You 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 reach a size where like it's it's it matters less when you when you grow a bit too too fast regarding cash and everything. I guess. Yeah, regarding cash, I mean, it still matters a lot, but. But yeah, people come into a structure. Um, you, maybe you expect still great things from them, but you don't expect them to move so much in a super great uncertainty and to provide extra structure. And I think um, uh, that's why it's good to have a founder team of two, but maybe even three. Um, so you can manage more topics in the founder team before you look for others to, to provide that. Ernesto, thank you very much. We went through everything I wanted to ask you. I've learned a, a lot of things today. So thank you very much for sharing your experience and all these advice with us. Um, I wish you all the best. I will put all the links of the like of the books and the the, the references we mentioned in the in the page of the of the episode online. And by the time this podcast will be online, you'll have your new website launch. So you have like, this is your last word to our audience. Uh, if you want to share where they can find you, the website, uh, like on LinkedIn, anything you want to share. If you are hiring, if you're looking for more investors, even though you just closed the, the crowdfunding uh, round, but uh, it's your time now to share whatever you want to share. Well, yeah, first, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, really cool, really cool talk. Had a lot of fun. I uh, hope everybody who hears it will enjoy it as well and, and not be bored. Um, 
yeah, I mean, you can reach me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just enter my name, Ernesto and Garnier, uh, like a shampoo. Um, you will find me there. Please connect. Send me a message on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm there frequently. So if you have anything from in investment interest, uh, uh, looking for looking for a new job, we are hiring. Uh, I think we'll we'll have about 15, 20 new people on board uh, probably this year. Uh, so um, reach out. Um, we're actually probably already adding really one or two high-profile um, positions this year. So uh, just just connect, and um, otherwise you find us on 100.de. So 100 as the word, um, the German word, and check out our product. Um, and, and yeah, just just let me know if you're interested and want to talk. Thank you very much, Ernesto. I wish you all the best in 2021, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll meet soon in Berlin. Yes, I, I really do hope that that will be possible soon. And uh, thanks a lot and good luck and success also to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. If you like this podcast, there are two things you can do that would mean the world to me. The first thing is to sign up for the podcast newsletter. That way you will be notified of the new episodes, but you will also get a summary of the learnings at the end of every season Plus, for each episode, you will get the resources and the list of do's and don'ts that every guest shares with me. And finally, you will also get the opportunity to ask our future guests one question in advance. You can sign up for this newsletter on gtimpact.com. The second thing you can do to be super helpful is to recommend this podcast. For that, you can write a review on Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends, other entrepreneurs, and people trying to build a sustainable future. That way, we can all learn together and work on a brighter future for us, our children, and our planet. Thank you very much, and see you next week for the next episode. Have a nice day!